Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content. So if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Well, today the letter is Z or Z, and Z is for zelophilia and other paraphilias. We have made it to the last show of the first 26. Paraphilias were initially identified in 1886 by Richard von Croft Ebbing in his book, Psychopathia Sexualis. The word paraphilia is from the Greek and means beyond usual and typical love. Paraphilias are methods of sexual expression that are out of the ordinary, and they have often been referred to as deviations or perversions. When a non-normative sexual practice is compulsive, then it can be considered a paraphilia. There is considerable controversy around this category. For example, homosexuality was considered a perversion and it was previously diagnosed as a disorder by psychiatrists. Many of the sexual practices that make up paraphilias are no longer considered to be sufficient to diagnose a paraphilic disorder. It is only when practices are compulsive, causing the person extreme levels of distress, placing the person at risk, or placing others at risk that a diagnosis is made now. Therapy is not very successful at ridding people of paraphilias, as the pleasure that is gained through the expression of them is so immediate and intense. When therapy is sought, the best course of action is to look at making the practice less compulsive and integrating the practices into a more normative sexuality. There is considerable debate as to whether paraphilias are impulse control disorders, meaning that they're disorders in which somebody fails to manage their impulses to engage in the act, or if they're more anxiety-based and then more obsessive and compulsive. In my opinion, unless the sexual acts are causing someone extreme distress or endangering them or someone else, it is best to look at helping the person to accept their sexuality rather than trying to fight their sexuality or to try to change it. 
Paraphilias include many that are either indulged in alone or with other consenting adults, such as cross-dressing or specific fetishes like feet and leather, for example, or urolagnia, or, which is water sports. These are the ones that no longer attract a diagnosis unless they're very distressing to the person engaging in them and cause considerable shame. The other paraphilias involving non-consenting people, and these always attract a diagnosis. So this includes pedophilia, which is sexual attraction to children, zoophilia, which is attraction to animals and desire for sexual activity with animals, voyeurism, desire based on watching others engage in sexual activities or on watching others, but only when the watching is being done without consent. So for example, the peeping Tom. Um, exhibitionism when it's being done without consent. So for example, the guy who exposes himself to the little girls in the street and frauderism with rubbing against an unsuspecting person in order to achieve sexual satisfaction or orgasm. Many people have strong fantasies and desires relating to paraphilic activities, but only part of the time. For example, some people enjoy water sports, but do not need to engage in water sports in order to have exciting sex or in order to reach orgasm. For these people, though it is preferred to have the sexual activity or the object of desire as a part of their sexual life, it is not necessary to have it in order to reach orgasm. These people, when they do seek therapy, usually come to therapy or to a coach because they're feeling shame about their desires or they're afraid to talk to their sexual partner about their desires. And therapy revolves around helping them to feel less shame or no shame, which is ideal, and to be able to approach their sexual desires with their partner. The people who present most often to psychologists and psychiatrists for help are those are for whom the paraphilia is necessary to their sexual enjoyment. For example, the man who cannot achieve an erection unless he's wearing women's clothing, or the woman who cannot achieve orgasm unless she's handcuffed or otherwise restrained. Aside from feeling lots of guilt, these people also find it much more difficult to create the sexual relationships they desire, and some find themselves in breach of the law or placing themselves at risk. I am often asked for my view as to whether or not people need to be concerned about paraphilias. The question that I'm asked over and over again is, am I normal? Is there something wrong with me? So here it is. What goes on between consenting adults is their own business. I recommend becoming very educated on the risks of your desired practice and recognizing the level of risk you're taking when you're engaging in it. Reducing risk is always a good idea, but grown people have the right to take risks. No one tells an adult that they are doing something horrible if they should choose to skydive. This is a risky activity, and it is assumed that an adult can assess this risk and will skydive in order to gain the benefits, the excitement, the exhilaration, and the pleasure in the knowledge that it is a dangerous activity. Rational folks who skydive do so with good kit, a good parachute, and after learning how to skydive as safely as possible. That doesn't mean that they are not taking risks. And in fact, some end up in skydiving accidents and either 
they are injured or they lose their lives. In my world, it's no different when you're talking about sexual risks. If you are excited by being spanked, then you should gain some education so you know the risks of different types of spanking. And you should take care in your choice of partner. Negotiate before the spanking. And be clear about what happens if something goes wrong and what happens afterwards. When you have educated yourself, it is your choice how much risk to take. That said, I have clearly stated consenting adults. If your turn-on involves a lack of consent and you wish to act it out with non-consenting people or people who are incapable of giving consent, you need treatment in order to curb your desire. Some people who have rape fantasies as the rapist are clear that they would never truly rape someone and negotiate to act out this desire with someone who fantasizes about being raped and knows the difference between actually being raped and enacting the fantasy. You can fantasize about something you would never do, either because it would not be fun with the real details, or because it goes against your morality, or because it's against the law. There is much evidence that many more people fantasize about the most taboo activities, including sex with underage people, and never act on these fantasies, and never desire to actually act on these fantasies. Fantasizing does not automatically make someone a risk. However, if someone cannot achieve orgasm without that fantasy material, then there is a very real risk. Now, I've talked about paraphilias in general, so I'm going to talk some about specific paraphilias. And the title of this podcast is Z, or Z is for zelophilia. Zelophilia is when somebody gains sexual pleasure from making others jealous or from being jealous themselves. The most common form of this paraphilia is people who fantasize or enact being forced to watch their partner having sex with someone else. On the extreme end of this spectrum, this can lead to cuckolding relationships. <clears throat> cuckolding relationships involve mostly men who get aroused by being forced to watch their wives with often younger, stronger lovers. And sometimes they are also forced to have some type of sex with the lover. Sometimes they organize the encounter, but are not allowed to watch. All of these situations produce feelings of jealousy and envy that are part of the turn-on and sometimes the main turn-on. Some zelophiles enjoy making others jealous. They become sexually aroused by causing others to feel jealous. Now, this has a touch of sadism to it, particularly when it's non-consensual, i.e. when both partners are not enjoying the jealousy. In my experience, that type of zelophilia often only occurs in the presence of other fetishes. So, for example, um, a dominant woman who will make her submissive man jealous quite deliberately um, and who will enjoy it when he becomes upset at her flirting with or even going so far as to have sex with other partners. 
I did set out to get some up-to-date statistics on the most prevalent paraphilias in the general population at the present time. And while I was doing this, I realized that these statistics are skewed because usually they're being gathered from people presenting for treatment or people who have been arrested. And in these groups, the most common paraphilia is pedophilia. However, in the general population, I suspect the most common paraphilia is actually transvestism. Now, I'm taking this from my clinical experience of people presenting over the years and also personal experience of meeting people out in um, alternative sexual clubs and groups. However, in the general population, um, this doesn't cause problems with the law, transvestism, and people often don't present for treatment. So the statistics surrounding how many people actually enjoy this are very skewed. Um, when I see people in treatment for transvestism, I'm usually seeing them in treatment because their partner um, doesn't know that they're a transvestite or their partner has found out that they're a transvestite and is quite upset. Um, and then often treatment moves to couples work to deal with this new information and um, how they can adapt to this information and adapt their relationship to include some of the um, transvestite activities that the partner enjoys. So I thought I would gather my own statistics by looking at various social media groups for people who have non-normative sexual interests and see what was discussed most often. I realized this might give me a less skewed idea of the most popular paraphilias. Unfortunately, this was what I reasoned, but unfortunately my reasoning was flawed. Lots of people are too embarrassed to discuss these issues on social media. So what I was really seeing was people who are comfortable talking in public, and some may say people who are exhibitionists. Despite this, here are my ideas about the most practiced paraphilias in the general population, and I am not including non-consensual paraphilias. So I'm not including pedophilia, zoophilia, non-consensual voyeurism or exhibitionism, and frauderism with strangers. Number one, sadism and masochism. Now, sadists gain pleasure from causing pain to others, and masochists gain pleasure out of pain. Sadism can be as mild as enjoying spanking someone to as severe as wanting to cause permanent injury. Sadists on the far end of the spectrum who want to cause permanent injury are a small portion of the population of sadists. Sadists who enjoy giving a flogging or a spanking are far more common. Masochists also fall on a spectrum from those who enjoy receiving a spanking or like having their nipples tweaked or like wearing nipple clamps to those who prefer pain that can cause serious injury. And again, there are fewer who prefer serious pain. Next on my list is voyeurism. Very common paraphilia. There are many people who enjoy watching others have sex. There are more than a few ways to indulge in this interest without violating someone else. Some people organize things with their partners and their friends. There's a subsection of folks who like to watch from the wardrobe or the closet. There are others who enjoy displaying their partners to others, and this is called candleism. Sometimes this involves having the partner dress in a revealing way. Um, and going to events where maybe that wouldn't be considered very appropriate so that they can watch 
all the attention that their partner gets. Other times it may involve bringing another person to watch sexual activity. It can also involve filming a partner. And so some of the people who create amateur pornography would actually be considered candlists and they really enjoy filling the filming their wives and their girlfriends and their husbands and their boyfriends and making this available to the world. Transvestism is also very common. Transvestites enjoy dressing in the clothes of the opposite gender. Most common are men who enjoy women's clothing and or women's underwear. These are men who do not wish to change gender. They are not transgender. They enjoy the feel of dressing up. There are women who enjoy dressing in men's clothing as well. Often partners are incredibly concerned that a man who enjoys dressing in women's underwear is gay. This is usually not the case. It is the dressing up and the feel of the garments that is the turn on for these folks. In the past, Prior to the internet, if you had more unusual sexual desires, it could be hard to find a sexual partner who shared your desires. Some people would engage in these desires with professional sex workers and keep this from their usual sex partners. Others who could not become aroused or reach orgasm without their particular kink could find that they had no sexual partner and instead used fantasy material or their sex life was confined to their encounters with professional sex workers. Since the internet, it's become much easier for people to find each other. There are various communities where people talk about their desires and often can find compatible partners, so to each his own. But I want to highlight the fact that professional sex workers have traditionally filled an essential role with this population with people who have had less normative sexual desires and found it difficult to find partners who would meet those desires. And that without the sex workers who were willing and happy to engage in these activities, these people would often experience isolation and feel that they were confined to masturbation for their sexual outlets. Joan wrote and said that she enjoys having sex in front of other people and that she was a bit concerned about her exhibitionism. She said that she likes the thrill of almost getting caught. There's no need to be concerned about exhibitionism per se, Joan, as long as you aren't exposing yourself in public where you may get arrested or traumatize unsuspecting people. You can practice your exhibitionism with friends or at sex clubs without consequence. If you feel that the part that turns you on the most is the thrill of almost getting caught, and you don't feel you can enjoy sex without this thrill, it would be worth seeing a therapist to help you find ways of satisfying this need without ending up in difficulty with the law. For example, if, you're, if you have a decent community and you're all willing to role play, you can create situations in which you might get caught, but the consequences of getting caught would not be deleterious. You would not end up arrested. You would not have to worry um, about 
traumatizing, unsuspecting innocence, but you could still have the fun. Jerry wrote in because he was concerned about his um, need to wear women's underwear. Um, Jerry doesn't like to identify himself as a transvestite because he feels there is so much negativity associated with the term. And he's concerned that too many people might think that he is homosexual when in fact he is heterosexual. And this is quite important to him. Jerry likes to wear women's underwear all of the time. It gives him a thrill throughout his day, and he says it keeps him sexually on edge. And he wrote in asking if there is um, something wrong with him or if this is something to be concerned about. Jerry, in my experience, there is nothing to be concerned about, providing that you are able to concentrate on the things that you need to do throughout the day and don't endanger yourself. Um, for example, if you're paying attention to how nice the underwear feels under your suit while you're driving, you could find yourself in a car accident. That wouldn't be a good thing. But in and of itself, enjoying the feeling of women's underwear and liking to dress with in them all the time and feeling special and sexy because you have them under your clothing has no negative consequences. Make sure that you choose a partner who is willing to embrace this side of you and able to help you enjoy it. It can be a lot of fun having a partner in crime, as it were, who also knows that you are dressed in beautiful, sexy underwear under your clothes. Um, I've had some clients who have liked to tell each other stories about this out in public and, and raise the sexual energy, um, talking about how nobody knows what this man in this perfect three-piece suit is actually wearing under his clothes and he's actually wearing pink frilly knickers. And isn't it exciting that we're the only two that know? There's all sorts of ways that you can indulge and enjoy with a partner um, and this can enhance your sex life. So nothing to be concerned about. However, if you do find that this is causing you shame or you are very worried about trying to present this to a sexual partner, by all means, seek some coaching so that you can get a good idea as to how you can approach this with your partner, um, learn some skills and tips to make it an easier conversation, and also work on reducing the amount of shame that you feel because there is nothing to be ashamed of. Thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of sex. This was the last in the first series. If you have missed some of the earlier part of the alphabet, head over to iTunes or to the A to Z of sex.com backslash podcast to download. Please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher if you enjoy the show and do subscribe. You can leave an anonymous review. You can use a fake name. Just leave a review. Do write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at a to z of sex.com and visit both websites, www.atozofsex.com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal lasting intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute session with me, 
head over to www.atozofsex.com and click on the button that says Book Now. Please join me next week when we will start again at the beginning with A, which is for anal. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.